Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Penn State's THON, the 46-hour dance marathon that raises money for pediatric cancer patients, their families, and research, is scheduled to begin Friday, February 17th. This year's event marks the 40th anniversary between THON at THON and the Four Diamonds Fund at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center have been affiliated. Joining us on today's program is Suzanne Graney, Executive Director of the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Austin Summerer, Executive Director of THON. Dr. Valerie Brown, she heads the Experimental Therapy Department at Penn State Hershey, and Shane Beach, Beach, his son, Beecher, I should say, Shane Beecher, his son, Charlie, is a childhood cancer survivor. I want to welcome all four of you to the program today. Thank you for hosting us. Thanks, everyone. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Suzanne Greening, I'm going to start with you. That um, Thon is, in, in central Pennsylvania, there are so many people who are uh, aware of Thon just because... Penn State Hershey Medical Center uh, being in the region. We see canners over the years. We've seen, uh, you know, students out on the corners, uh, on, a, on the roadways, collecting money for THON. So there are very many people who are familiar with it and know what goes on or have participated. But if you were to describe THON to someone who had no idea, how would you do that? You know, it is so hard to imagine what it's like. Somebody recently said it's kind of like the Grand Canyon. You have to see it and experience (laughs) it to really understand it. Probably the best description I've come up with, it's the largest display of human kindness I've ever seen in one place at one time. It is a sea of people who are just full of hope and full of love, and it is motion and color and music and joy. You know, we have a picture, a photograph on our website of a, a past thon, and it is a sea of people. There's a lot of music, a lot of color, and uh, you say just so many people around. Uh, but, you know, I always, always wondered about the motivation. I mean, we're talking about young people who have many of them maybe uh, first-year students and uh you know, they're, they're just getting their feet wet in, in college. And, you know, you wonder whether they just want to have fun dancing. But what I have found and have heard since is that after they do get that experience or get involved, even before the, the weekend marathon, is that it becomes much more than just let's dance for three days. Oh, definitely. I mean, we talk a lot about the why Why does somebody want to be on their feet for 46 hours? Why does a student want to work literally year-round to raise awareness, to raise money for childhood cancer? And it comes down to connection and relationships. These students build very real relationships with the families they are helping. It is about caring for other people. It's about caring for your community, being part of a bigger solution. And it's not just about a dance party. It is about helping to create a solution for our community that will impact people for years to come. Austin Summer, you are the executive director of THON this year. How did you get involved? And tell me about your experiences. 
Sure. So when I was growing up, my family has been involved with an organization similar to Four Diamonds called Ocean of Love in Ocean County, New Jersey, which does the same kind of family support as Four Diamonds does, a little less on the research side, but it's always been a cause that's been pretty near to me. And then coming to Penn State, obviously Thon was one of those things that really drew me to the area uh, and drew me to the college. Uh, when I got involved during my first Thon in 2014, I was a public relations committee member where I helped escort Prest. Uh, and then kind of as I moved up through my roles, I was an entertainment captain as a sophomore, the entertainment director last year where I helped coordinate the entertainment for over 40 pre-thon events as well as on weekend. Uh, and then after the end of last year, I knew that I wasn't done uh, and applied for the executive director position, which I've enjoyed immensely this year. So what does the executive director of THON do? Well, or maybe you should ask, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> so my primary, my primary responsibility is overseeing the 16 committees that uh, THON has. Uh, everything from communications to, tech, to technology to public relations and entertainment. Um, we have 16 very specific areas and over... We have 16 directors, uh, 350 captains, and, a, and about 4,000 committee members uh, that oversee kind of the internal operations of the organization, uh, and our whole community is made up of about 16,500 students that fundraise, support the families, uh, and also work to pull off all of the fun events throughout the year. So, uh, so go ahead. What were we going to say? I was just going to say on top of that, I work closely with the university to just work on strategic plans for Thon's future and obviously a lot of fundraising as well. 16,000 students. Okay, now that, that almost fills the Bryce Jordan Center if you have 16,000 students, but there are students involved who just aren't there dancing. I talked about canning and uh, some of the other things. And this is not just for this weekend. This is a year-round thing, right? Absolutely. So I was picked for my position in March of last year. Uh, and by the time September rolled around, all 16,000 students were in full swing, uh, both fundraising, supporting the families, and getting ready for THON 2017. So we have been full steam ahead since the start of the school year this year. Uh, mm -hmm. We have over 400 individual organizations that support THON and support the Four Diamonds, uh, which is really exciting because we have such a large community of people who just want to give back and help. Uh, Suzanne, I wanted to follow up on what uh, Austin was saying there by, you know, again, providing some basic information to our audience. Uh, you know, he talked about supporting the families and research. And we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Valerie Brown in just a moment about the research. But the money, uh, last year over $13 million. It was about $10 million was on last year. Was mm -hmm. about 10 Okay. Yes. I'm getting my numbers mixed up because it's been $136 million over, over the years. I knew there was a three in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but the money, what what does it go for? It ha We have a three-pronged um, piece of our mission. One is making sure that we are providing superior care to children who are fighting cancer at our children's hospital. The second is comprehensive support. So that is taking care of all of the medical bills that are not covered by insurance for those children who meet eligibility guidelines. Our eligibility is pretty simple. You're a resident of Pennsylvania. You're under the age of 22 at your diagnosis for um, cancer, and you're receiving your primary oncology care at our children's hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, when you said superior care, what what is superior care? Well, we have world-class care at um, our children's hospital. We've been recognized by U.S. News and World Report for six years in a row as one of the top 50 hospitals in the nation for childhood cancer care. Mm -hmm. All right, so I stopped you. You have more. Yeah, we do have more. You know, that comprehensive support is not just about money. It's about emotional support. It is about family support, making sure that all members of the family have the tools that they need to adjust to this new reality of fighting childhood cancer. It's making sure that we have specialists available that are non-billable. So 
folks like a social worker, child life specialist, music therapy, nutrition therapy, um, child psychology, so that the child has all of the tools that have been proven through research to help them be successful in fighting cancer. We want to make sure that all of that is available to every child who's being taken care of at our children's hospital. And then the third part is investing in research, because we know all the best care in the world can't give you a cure. It's only finding that new information and new ways to treat this that'll lead us to a cure. Well, let's talk about uh, research. Dr. Valerie Brown heads uh, experimental therapeutics at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Dr. Brown, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. All right, let's talk about uh, where some of the money, some of that $136 million over the years, what, it has, what has it done over those years? Well, the first thing I can say is that um, without Fawn and for Diamonds, uh, my program, the Pediatric Oncology Experimental Therapeutics Program, would just not even exist. And what we are basically doing is we give hope to the hopeless. Um, even though there are about 20,000 new um, pediatric cancer diagnoses a year just in the U.S. alone, which translates to about one in 330 Americans will develop cancer before the age of 20. But the best news is that one in 750 20-year-olds that are alive in the U.S. today is a survivor of childhood cancer. And with, we can't quote those statistics without research. Uh, research plays such a huge role in pushing forward the numbers of, sur of survivors, and we're not going to stop till it's 100%. Um, the, the Four Diamonds and Thon allows us to provide cutting-edge research that's being done here as to the caliber it's being done around the world. And patients, um, we just don't serve the patients here in central Pennsylvania in my program. Patients come not just from around the U.S., but even around the world to get therapies that they can't get anywhere else. In fact, we, um, well, it's about a year ago now, we were the first in North America to deliver a specific therapy to one of our um, experimental therapeutics patients. And um, that's, that's, we are building up our numbers and we want to provide, like Suzanne said, superior care, cutting edge care, because we want to secure everyone. And it's not that an unreasonable goal. A few questions. Um, sure. How is research into pediatric cancer different than researching cancer for someone of any age? So um, this is when I get to brag a little bit about the pediatric <laughs> oncology community. <laughs> um, because uh, we, are, we as pediatric oncologists are truly the pioneers of, um, of clinical research and getting, being the most efficient of getting the um, therapies to our patients as quickly as possible. Um, we also have pediatric cancer at a molecular level is different um, from adult cancers. There are some overlaps, um, and there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from pediatric cancer that can be translated over to the adult world. But I, I call it that the pediatric oncologists actually are much better at playing in the sandbox together. Um, so it, <laughs> we are able to work as... Um, a community, as an organization, not just here at Penn State um, Hershey Children's Hospital, but we collaborate with other centers all over the world. And we, we have an organization called the Children's Oncology Group 
that has really made a huge difference where if a child was diagnosed around the time Thon started, right, in the mid to late 70s, the vast majority of those children were going to die. And we were talking about how long would we prolong their survival. But I can't say that now, and I'm glad I can't say that. In fact, we cure the vast majority of pediatric patients with cancer in 2017, and that is because of pediatric research. It's because of people and students like um, those at Penn State at SON who um, get it and understand that really research is not is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but it also needs to be financed. You know, you uh, work with uh, experimental therapeutics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we often hear about uh, like a medication, for example, that takes years to get approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Mm-hmm. What is allowed when it comes to experimenting with uh, pediatric cancer? There are um, very strict and, for good reason, rules and regulations. Um, but in fact, the, the U.S. government and the FDA have actually wised up and realized that adult patients uh, are not the same as pediatric patients and that um, investigation in a pediatric population has to also occur because the way drugs are metabolized um, or utilized is different than it is in an adult patient. And so you can't just extrapolate to the young patients and say, oh, yeah, it'll all be the same. And in the same vein, a one-year-old is not the same as an 18-year-old. So um, the FDA has actually uh, helped to um, make sure that investigation of these drugs occurs in the pediatric population just as safely as it would in the adult population. Um, And they also incentivize big pharma to um, do these studies in pediatric patients by giving them um, uh, vouchers and incentives to study pediatric patients. Um, But we as the researchers, the ones on the front lines who are giving these medications to the patients, are also vetting the studies and making sure that they truly are are for the benefit of our patients and not just the benefit of the pharma companies. Give me an example of something that was experimental that is now an accepted form of uh, treatment for pediatric cancer. Um, sure. Um, there's a type of um, cancer. It's called uh, neuroblastoma. It actually is almost exclusively in a pediatric population. Um, and if you had high risk or stage four neuroblastoma, less than 50% of those children survived. Um, And just recently, an antibody therapy uh, was approved, I believe it was either this past fall or the fall before, for treatment of these patient population. And that's a huge um, win in pediatric oncology because typically... It doesn't um, pay the pharmaceutical companies to pursue drugs that are specific for pediatric patients because the the reality is only 20,000 patients, pediatric patients, are diagnosed with cancer every year compared to, you know, 1.2 million adults. So this is a very small niche of patients, but they need help and they need to live too. Um, So this was a huge win for um, the antibody therapy to be uh, approved by the FDA. And in fact, with the addition of this antibody therapy, 
the um, likelihood of survival has gone to less than 50% to 60 to some even say 75%. And that was a huge win for the pediatric oncology community. Mm, that's great news. Yeah. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. You're home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. All too often, teenagers tend not to think about other people. They tend to think more of themselves. And this event is really one in which really forces them to look beyond their own individual world. And it really makes them more compassionate and really better people in the end. That's from a documentary that uh, ran on uh, Pennsylvania's public television stations a few years back, uh, talking about Thon. Thon is our focus today on Smart Talk. We're talking about uh, what it is, what the money goes for, how much is raised, what the students do, the kind of research. Our guest today, Suzanne Graney, who's executive director of the Ford Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Austin Summerer is this year's executive director of THON. Dr. Valerie Brown heads the Experimental Therapeutics Department at Penn State Hershey. And Shane Beecher, whose son Charlie, a childhood cancer survivor. If you have a question or a comment, maybe a story to tell, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Um, we can also uh, accommodate accommodate you on Facebook by going to uh, WITF's Facebook page. And also on Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. Again, that is 1-800-729-7532. And we are honored to have uh, in our studio Shane Beecher, whose son Charlie uh, is a childhood cancer survivor. Uh, Mr. Beecher, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to ask you to tell uh, Charlie and your family's uh, story. Uh, he's eight years old now, but yes. how's he doing today? Well, today, if you saw him, you, you you would have no clue anything ever happened to him. He's uh, second grade, four foot seven, a hundred pounds, biggest kid in his class, growing like a weed, and uh, loving swimming and uh, sports and being a kid. Um, you know, but it, you did tell me he's not happy about uh, something. Well, you know, we're we're Steelers fans, so <laughs> he, he he went to bed. And I think the score was twenty-one three, and he was feeling pretty confident that those Patriots were 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 not going to win. The evil empire. Yeah, and uh, and uh, so he was not a happy camper this morning. But uh, tried to tried to teach uh, talk to the boys this morning about the the lesson in it all, which is. Whether we like them or not, you got to respect the fact that they never gave up, and uh, something that, that that was important in our journey and our family. And there are lessons there in sure. a lot of different areas, yep. and I think that is uh, so appropriate. Uh, so he's eight, and he's in in, in, in good health right now. But uh, he wasn't at one time. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, in a perfect world, you know, you get through cancer and uh, there's n never anything beyond that. But, you know, there are still some side effects. But, you know, it, back in uh, December of 2009, um, you know, he was showing signs of something wasn't right. You know, he was a happy little boy and and he was just dropping to his knees in pain and crying. Just it was very odd. And uh, my wife, Anne, had called the pediatrician and there was a, you know, like a stomach virus going around. So they gave us a list of things to do and we did. Um, and, uh, you know, Ann, Ann was up late with him one night and she came over to the bedroom with that motherly instinct and, and looked at me and said, I'm taking him to the hospital. And uh, she did and it was probably 
till she got there. It was one o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, and the next morning we had a we had a day coming. You know, I I had responsibilities. We had to get Max to school, and thank God for my father-in-law helping us out. And you know, later that afternoon, um, you know, when I was done my meetings, um, you know, she said she was going up to Penn State Children's Hospital for uh, a consultation. And it would it was just ironic that down, we were living in York at the time, and and the gentleman, the doctor down there was so happened to be a really good friend of mine. Uh, our families were getting together, Doctor Dorn, uh, and uh, you know he. I talked to my wife on the phone. He called me shortly thereafter, and he said, "Hey Beach, are you sitting down?" And and um, I said, "No," and I did, and. He said, and we used to play high school football together, and he said, you know, uh, you remember how we used to check in and see if we were ready before games? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you need to get ready. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we, we did an ultrasound, and, and there was some sort of mass around his bladder. And I said, you mean cancer? He said, well, we can't diagnose that. So that conversation in that moment gave me a little oomph that I needed to get to Hershey and of course my wife after talking with her and my father-in-law was there and my son and they were exhausted um, we went in and saw Dr. Ross Dector and uh, he did a, a, a somewhat of an invasive test on Charlie at that moment and and um, boy it's sorry it's okay it's been a few years but it's just it, it still hits you like it was yesterday and and he uh checked Charlie and handed him he, Charlie was crying and handed him back to my wife and looked at me and said there's a high probability your son has rhabdomyosarcoma and I said sarcoma you mean cancer and he said yes Mr. Beecher and and um, you know so those at that moment you know we were all tears crying and I just looked at him and said what do we got to do right now to get this fight on and uh, <laughs> I had no idea the the fight we were picking, um, you know, because then for, you didn't pick that fight. No, I didn't. That fight picked well, you. well, but we had to fight back, and and it wasn't. Um, it was it was certainly it, just a whirlwind of hours and days and fear and every possible uh, emotion of fear that there's different levels of it, uh, and I think my wife and I definitely hit them all and um tell me about the type of cancer though yeah i mean that's not something that a lot of people walk around saying oh yeah this is what uh he or she had yeah it's uh there's two subtypes of it it's called rhabdomyosarcoma that's very rare um there's only anywhere from 150 to maybe 300 cases a year uh only about 20 uh in the region he had it there in his pelvis and um there's two subtypes, embrinal and alveolar. Um, the embrinal at the time when he was diagnosed had about a 65% survival rate, and alveolar only had 10%. And um, so of the two evils, uh, we were blessed to, to get embrinal, and then he had 42 weeks of what's called uh, VAC therapy, which is chemotherapy, and then he had six weeks of uh, proton beam radiation therapy up in up in Boston MGH the Francis Burr Proton Center. Oh, 42 weeks. Now how old was Charlie then? 
Well, Charlie, at the time, when at the initial stage diagnosis, he was 16 months old. So he, um, oh. he, he couldn't even really, you know, talk to explain, you know, what he was feeling. And, and, and in some ways, that was um, actually a blessing in disguise because that little guy, man, was just uh, Dr. Greiner. Uh, you know, he, one of his favorite patients, you know, would say, you know, he's always doing something. Uh, you know, he's always busy. And, and we bring that to today. I mean, Charlie now has a, he has a Fitbit. And I think the other day he had 18,000 steps. <laughs> and so for Fitbit That's users, yeah, yeah. So he's, he was, he was just never phased by it. Um, you know, he just kept charging forward and, and he, himself uh, and how he handled it as such a little guy inspired my wife and I, you know, uh, and and his big brother, Max, uh, always there wanting to help, you know, put the Band-Aid on when we had to get his shots. And it was just, it was really a full family effort. Now, how does, I mean, we have seen many adults that have gone through chemotherapy and how difficult it is Mm -hmm. and the impact it has on the body. How even though he was very busy, as the doctor said, yeah. how did he take that over that period of time? I mean, that's that's almost a year. Yeah, well, and and you know, Scott, in 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 cancer world, you know, we had it easy. Uh, kids with uh, ALL and some other types of cancer, blood cancers, you know, they're on treatment for three to five years. So uh, for us, the forty-two week mission. It was either it was an either or scenario, um, you know. Either it was sixty five percent meant life or thirty five percent meant death, um, because of the odds of survival. If you don't kill or shrink the tumor at the end of it, weren't good. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the the main thing was, and I'm sorry, I I just kind of digressed there in my mind for a minute. I'm not, probably not answering your question. <laughs> no, that's not. It's just how he how he yeah. he, he went through it. I mean, how, what he did with his. So body. so he you know the way he you know the great part about four diamonds. Uh, for you know that first year on treatment, we did not go to Thon, so it was primarily 2010, and that was mostly to keep him safe because of his um, immunity. And and to your point about adults. Probably the advantage that kids do have is is and, and this is one of the things that was stressed to us through the treatment is that they are reproducing their cells so much faster than than you and I do. Uh, so the older we get, cell reproduction slows down. So he was, you know, he would go in for his overnight chemo and and the, you know where a lot of kids would get sick early on. He he didn't. He would wake up next morning, eat a big breakfast, and we were good to go. Um, and that's where, you know, knowing a lot of the families on, on on the journey, it's not always like that. You know, they have their chemo, uh, then, and they get really sick, and the next day they're not ready to go. And as the, as the uh, 42 weeks wore on, um, you know, he began to get sick. Uh, on those overnight trips and it was um you know it was it was hard i was there on those overnights with my wife uh she would be in the bed with him cuz i'm a little bigger guy so i couldn't fit uh and it was just he needed his mommy and and uh 
you know, we were worried. You know, we'd watch him get violently ill, and the next morning he'd wake up and he'd be eating pancakes and syrup <laughs> and like nothing happened. In fact, one night he, he had hamburgers before. I mean, he, it was amazing how much he would eat. Even to this day, it's amazing how much he eats. We have to slow him down, but they kept telling him, just keep eating, keep eating. And and so towards the end, it, it, you could see that after after a period of time, even the little Superman that he was, it was starting to take its physical toll on him. So how did you get involved with the, the Four Diamonds Fund, and what did they offer? Well, uh we we didn't seek them out. They sought us out. I think it was you know probably about it's you know almost uh, seven years ago now. But you know they came in, they came into our room the day of the diagnosis up on the old seventh floor. Uh, they as the social work as team. a oh, as a okay. social work team. Sorry, yeah. four diamonds. Uh, Greg Greg Biaki, um, he came in uh, and another lady at the time, and they sat down. And they explained, you know, a lot of the cool things of Four Diamonds, but of course, we don't remember anything they said because you were thinking about other Well, yeah, yeah we're thinking about the life and death of our son, and that's that's not an easy, easy one. But what was impressive about Greg and and the whole Four Diamonds social work team is they they didn't give up on us in the beginning. They they knew. Um, they understood the, that those early stages and and just you know kept kept talking with us and and being there for us and and uh, it, it it really became just a very special journey in in the sense of you know it became a routine you know Charlie would look forward to Jan and his music and the music therapy that she'd provide um, Greg with his stickers you know he got to know Greg pretty well. Um, and, and, you know, of course his oncology team, Dr. Greiner, and, and most importantly, uh, nurse Holly, you know, she was the, the nurse that we would go into clinic to get prepared, uh, you know, for that overnight treatment and access support. And they had a whole system and toys and it was just, um, you know, there was a routine and, and that's important. So when was he cured? So we had we had the good news um, uh, in October 2015. So he was diagnosed in 2009. So we were on treatment from basically December of 09, December 15th of 09 until the end of October 2010, and then the, then you had five years of going back for scans, um, and we had a scare along the way. Uh, in May of 13, and then in, in October of 2015 is when we had the new C word, and the one we all dreamed of and wanted, which was cured. Um, and, and so now he's a year from being cured. Inspiring story. Thanks. Thank you very much for, uh, for you know, telling, telling your story as well. You're welcome. Um, for, for those who are uh, waiting on hold, we will get to you in just a moment. Please be patient. Uh, but, Austin, I wanted to bring you back sure. into the conversation. When you hear a story like, like Charlie's, uh, I don't know, it must make you feel proud that you're involved with an organization and with an event that helps families, helps children like that. Absolutely. And, you know, I was hoping you would ask. Um, 
hearing these stories, and, and I'm in a, a position where I'm fortunate enough to hear them all the time, where you just hear about the hope that not th- only Thon, but Four Diamonds is able to provide to these families in such a dark time. You, you hear these stories of when they're, they're at their low and they get this news, uh, but then there's this little shimmer of light that comes through through Greg and through Nurse Holly and through all of these people who are able to tell them about the Four Diamonds and tell them what we as students are able to do to support them um, financially and emotionally as well. Um, we're able to create relationships with these families together through these times. I know Shane and I have a, a great relationship. I found out the other day that he's been texting my dad about things <laughs> after meeting last week. That's a true story. He actually it is. Um, <laughs> it is. Hi, hi Austin. <laughs> so to be able to create these relationships with people and, and kids and adults and, and help them and, and support them is one of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of and, and probably will ever be a part of in my lifetime. Are there families, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty close with the Beechers. Are there families that uh, you'll stay in touch with for the rest of your life? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to meet so many incredible people along this journey. And, and we're often asked, what do you think is one of the more impressive things about Thon? And I always say the community behind it, um, the community of students, the community of families, the community of supporters and donors and, and just people all over the, the world who ha- have know about Thon and will do everything in their power to come back and continue to support Thon and support the families. And these relationships that we're able to form are unlike anything else. Dr. Um, Brown, I, yeah. I, I know you have to run because yeah. you actually have patients to take care of. Yes. So. I was on this weekend, and I'm on for bone marrow transplant this week, and I have a patient in the intensive care unit. But Okay, well, I, I, so. I did have a quick question. Something, sure. something that Shane said about uh, cells mm-hmm. in uh, children reproducing yep. quicker than in adults. Now, I know I've killed a few brain cells over the years, <laughs> or not just brain cells, but other cells as well. That's true. Um, but is, is that true? Explain that, if you would. Yeah, so um, I think the best word to to describe um, children uh, and their medical state is that they are resilient. Um, the main thing that a child's going to do during that first decade of life is they grow, right? They need to get bigger. A baby from the time of birth to their one-year-old, they triple their weight, right? So um, because their cells are rapidly dividing, um, they they can be more vulnerable to chemotherapies or other drugs that we give them, um, but that's the that's the downside because you can um, hurt some healthy tissue along the way while you're treating a patient. But that but that also means that they're going to recover faster, and so um, we can attack a tumor. Um, and yes, we get some collateral damage along the way, but in children they bounce back a lot faster, which means then we can come and hit the tumor again. Um, And adults, you know, their hearts have been beating for, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. A child's heart hasn't beaten that much yet, and we want to keep it beating. Um, But so their their cardiac muscle cells can take it a little bit more. Um, And so we can use different approaches to treat children than we treat adults. A big thing now is um, how do we uh, leverage a person's immune system to help fight cancers. Uh, and a child's immune system is different than an adult's. An adult's immune system actually is kind of like your self-destruct button because we're not supposed to live forever. But a child's immune system is revved up and, and ready to fight anything that seems to be foreign. So we're trying to train the a child's immune system to view cancer as being a foreign thing and having to go kill it, and we can do that.
Mm-hmm. You know, so there are differences, um, and we try to take advantage of those differences as much as we can. So that cliche of people, you know, when they talk about a, a child that has gone through a tragedy or, uh, you know, something in their life where kids mm-hmm. are resilient, mm-hmm. there is some truth to that. Absolutely. Mm. On a physiologic level. Mm-hmm. Dr. Valerie Brown, thank you very much for being sure. with us today. And I apologize for having you run. But I understand. Hey, there are things that take precedence. Right, exactly. But And thank you again for the, this opportunity because I can't say enough about uh, Thon and the Four Diamonds organization. And they've just been wonderful, every person along the line, to um, help us. Thank- cure the cure, cure those that can't be cured. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about uh, THON. The uh, 2017 edition of THON will be held uh, starting on February 17th, 46 hours of dancing to raise money for pediatric cancer. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Let's go to the phone. Brenda in Elizabethtown has been waiting patiently. Brenda, you're on the air. Good morning. morning. My sister, Denise has been um, recognized on this 40th anniversary, uh, was contacted by the Four Diamonds to be recognized as the very first Thon, or no, sorry, Four Diamonds patient. That was before Thon. Um, We uh, grew up here, and I still live in Elizabethtown. My parents are still here in Elizabethtown. Um, Mr. Millard was our choir director at church, and he was the chorus teacher at high school. And Mrs. Millard was our ballet instructor, um, along with Chris's younger sister, Stacy, was in our class. And when my sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at age 10 and then was receiving treatments at age 11, uh, it was Mr. Millard and his wife who contacted made their connections at Hershey Med Center for uh, my sister's treatment. And so here at uh, the 40th anniversary, the Thon Committee must have been talking about who was the very first Four Diamonds patient. And it turns out it's my sister. And so we got a phone call, and my sister said to me, she talked to me um, last week, and she says, my goodness, Brenda, I'm, I'm, I'm not a cute little kid that's <laughs> sweet and cuddly. I'm, I'm a, a middle-aged woman. What, what can I say? And I said, oh, Denise. I said, Denise, you are the face of hope. I said, you, you are the face that people, parents are going to see when they're, when they're, Parent, that when when they get that terrible diagnosis that my, our parents got, and they're going to say, you know what, this child will grow up. This child can um, meet those milestones that you know the the idea of graduations and marriage, and someday even have three biological children that the doctors told you you probably will need hormone replacement therapy and will never have children, and you have three now that are your own biologically. And I said, you are the face of hope that, that like your, your guest said, back in the day, 
most of the children didn't survive. Well, you did. Brenda, I have to tell you that well, you answered my question, and I'm so glad that it was this answer because I wanted to see what happened with Denise. But when you said you talked to her last week, yes. and it's been 40 years, and she has her own uh, three three children now. Yes. I mean, And she herself became a doctor. She wanted to really? be a nurse before she experienced this. And then she discovered who it was that really made the decisions. <laughs> 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 and and it ends up her husband is also a doctor and he is a hemonc hematology oncology uh doctor because his mother died of brain cancer uh, when he was uh in third grade and so they both are doctors and and they have three biological children yeah, that um she carried now she had um one ovary removed, and then had massive stomach radiation, yeah. uh, abdominal radiation that, you know, at that time, the radiation wasn't as refined as it was now. Yeah, I can imagine. And they told her, don't expect that the other ovary is going to work. Yeah. Brenda, well, let me this bring is Suzanne. You know, I'm so excited to hear from you, and the stars align so perfectly for us to connect with Denise, and we're looking forward to getting a chance to meet with her. We had a project that is 40 Faces of 40 Years, and she is definitely one of the faces that we were hoping to find, that first patient, and we were thrilled that she's a survivor and that we yeah. have the opportunity to reconnect and, and show that face of hope about survival, about getting past this fight and going on and leading a full, happy, healthy life. That's our well, goal for every child. Effects. Well, ev absolutely. I mean, everybody in life yeah. has challenges that we face along the way, but gosh, we're so thrilled to hear that she's doing well and right. getting that opportunity to meet her during Thon Weekend. Well, Brenda well, and she also said that the one thing that she f she is very glad to hear about, which see, I was the older sister, and I was always, I'm, I'm very self-reliant, and you know, she said, which is the first time I ever heard her say this, last week, all these years later, she said, you know, the one thing that Thon has recognized is siblings. It's all the parents Amen. and the patient and the siblings. I mean, you're healthy. You don't yeah. need any assistance. <laughs> hey, you know, you're not sick. Hey, Brenda, I, I have to move on, but yeah. I'm, I am so glad you called in. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that Denise, she may not think of herself as cuddly, but there are a lot of people who probably do. <laughs> Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Suzanne, before we get back to the telephone here, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Brenda brought up that is so important, and she used the word hope. And, and actually, Shane mentioned this as well, but talk about that, because this is actually something that you, for Diamonds Fund, that hope is a big part of this. It definitely is. You know, as we talk about a description of Thon or we talk about what happens in our hospital, hope is that intangible piece that is always there. Um, we heard about Charlie's story, and there's a 65% cure rate for the type of cancer he faced. That's what we focus on. We focus on the hope of that percentage. We're always looking at what is the possibility. And we've come up with what we call our equation for hope. And that is the combination of having world-class care, transformative philanthropy, like what Thon is, combined with life-saving research is what leads 
us to be able to offer hope for a cure. Mm-hmm. Let's take some more phone calls. Ann is in Harrisburg. Ann, you're on the air. Oh, I'm glad you got to me because I want to talk about this from a different angle only because of I'm really envious of the support that um, this Charlie from Four Diamonds and Suzanne is talking about. My son has been afflicted with, he's 54, and he was afflicted with uh, glioblastoma. Now, we're handling things in the best way that we can. He lived out of town. But with all the doctors and the teamwork and everything, no one has directed us to any kind of, of hope organization to work with the family. To We get it in bits and pieces. Or maybe one counselor says this, one says that. But there is no support that's given out like Four Diamonds has given to that beautiful family when I heard about that one young boy that's a survivor. And I think it's wonderful that they found these organizations for this uh, mental and physical support. Now, how does a family find all that? You know, you bring up a really interesting challenge. Our our mission is very focused on childhood cancer, but we are not blind to the fact that there are people that are dealing with cancer at all different ages, and we don't have a system that is unilateral or equal across our country to yeah, support every age. It, there's one. Right. There's also, you know, inequity in covering other pediatric causes and making sure that parents who are dealing with something that's not cancer have that support. I think it's one of the areas of opportunity within our healthcare system to look at how are we not embracing and fully taking care of people. Um, I, I don't have an answer for you of exactly where to look for that, but I do know we're, they're... We're doing, uh, you know, I, all the right things, and but we're getting uh, maybe a, a social counselor here and there. Uh, we, we see oncologists, and, and no one directs us to some kind of program like the Four Diamonds. I mean, for... It's kind of because we've looked across the country. We've not been able to find another hospital that offers something like Four Diamonds. This is very unique to Penn State Children's Hospital. There's nothing like it that we've been able to find anywhere Shane, else. Shane, you were going to say something? Well, yeah, I mean, to the point, Four Diamonds is so focused on pediatrics that uh, the adults... Um, does your I, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. Is your son does is that a is it a pediatric cancer that he has or is it an adult, considered no, an adult? No, glioblastoma is brain cancer. Okay, it's he's brain cancer. He's doing terrific. He's really, really doing wonderful, and he's a real warrior. He was honored down in Winston Salem, North Carolina, with the com- community support from all over down there. But okay. we have him at home with us, and he's a real warrior. We're doing everything right. We're on yeah. track. But I don't like the fact that there is no place to turn for like a, that support like a Four Diamonds is doing for the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, it's, as Suzanne said, uh, you've identified uh, kind of a, a hole in, in the health care system. Yes. Maybe as we go forward, maybe uh, we will realize that this is something that they can use Four Diamonds Fund and what they do with uh, pediatric cancer as an example, a model for all age groups. That's why I wanted to get my call in because I cannot believe that there is nothing as wonderful as a four diamond save for other for older people that have come down with something. And I'm just talking about support and, you know, rallying around families that need just the support. And thank you very much and good luck to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take another call from Bud in Thompson Town. Bud, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Hey, this is Bud. Uh, I, w- I don't want to take a whole lot of your time, but I'm very curious about a, 
uh, deal. I'm a Penn State graduate, uh, and several of my other families are. At that time, around 74, 75, the dance marathon came into being, and the monies went to the Heart Fund. And I spent a lot of time going door to door, uh, playing guitar in 20 degree weather in College Avenue, collecting money for this endeavor. And uh, at one supermarket, a little girl came over and gave me a $5 bill. She said, I had heart surgery. I know what it's all about. Uh, was this a predecessor to Thon? Yeah. Hey, Bud, thank you very much for your call. Bud, actually, Thon did uh, have different beneficiaries the first five years that it existed. It was in 1977's Dance Marathon that Four Diamonds was selected as the beneficiary of that year. And we were really fortunate that, you know, the perfect storm of students hearing about the Four Diamonds story from Charles Millard and a member of the development team. But that student leader that heard that story was actually the the young man that was leading Thon that year and was instrumental in helping to choose Four Diamonds. Once that choice was made, the students continued to choose Four Diamonds for the next 40 years. This is our 40th time being that uh, sole beneficiary of Thon's fundraising and goodwill. Uh, we only have about uh, 90 seconds left. And Austin, there were a couple questions I wanted to ask you. I'm sure that one of the questions that many people have, especially us older people, is how these students dance for 46 hours. That's one thing. And my second question was about the future of canning. But let's start with the 46 hours. Sure. Uh, So we are fortunate enough to have so many volunteers who are around to support the dancers throughout the weekend. Uh, People use this kind of as a representation of the fight to kind of put themselves in, while of course it's no comparison to uh, go through cancer, but they put them there to represent the fight uh, and to show these families that we can stand strong and we can stay there for them for 46. Uh, We have a whole committee that is devoted specifically to taking care and supporting the dancers by keeping them engaged, playing games, uh, but also a lot of support through the community of the the nursing students, uh, the athletic training students students and the EMS students uh, who are able to be there physically to support them as well. All right, so real quick, and I mean real quick, uh, about the future of canning. Sure. So canning is being phased out of our fundraising model. And by Thon 2019, there won't be canning anymore. But we are very excited to see the future of fundraising in other directions. We've already seen organizations adapt to different methods of engagement and different methods of fundraising that are much more safe and sustainable to allow Thon to really grow uh, more efficiently into the future. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds left. I want to thank you all for being with us today. Learned so much. Suzanne, last word for those listening out there. What message do you want to leave with them about Thon, about the uh, pediatric cancer, about the Four Diamonds Fund, the message. It's probably the message that I start with and end with every time. It's thank you for supporting us. It is tens of thousands of people that make contributions every year that make this possible, that we can take care of these children. So thank you for doing that for the kids. And again, uh, this year's THON is on, uh, well, it starts on Friday, uh, February 17th, goes through the the 19th and last year, $10 million. So we'll see if we can uh, get above that this year. Thank you for being on the org slash donate is how you can participate. Coming up tomorrow, we have a Smart Talk road trip. We'll be at the Hershey Conservatory, so stop in.